1995, uh, the then president of Kelvin Theological Seminary, he wrote a book on sin, and the book was entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And you know, there's a lot of things that we focus on in sermons that point to the fact that things here on this earth are not the way they're supposed to be. But today, I'd like to, I'd like to point us uh, in a different direction, and, and I'd like to point us into the way that things are supposed to be. And in order to do that, we're going to take a look at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, where it says, uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, here we are in this passage. This is the birthday of the church. And we could get out the candles and the cake and the streamers and all celebrate, uh, like Nikki Lachance here, right? Celebrates with one of those cool balloon arches and those perfectly decorated cookies. I'm always so jealous because I am not that mom. Uh, this is the very beginning of the church. And this is exactly what it's supposed to look like. Basically, from the book of Luke to the book of Acts, we have this huge page turn taking place because we're going from the life of Christ to the beginning of the church. And the book of Acts shows us as the church where we began. If we read a little bit before this in Acts 2, uh, we will see that the day of Pentecost has just taken place. And Pentecost actually means 50th, because it took place 50 days after the Passover. And there's all of these amazing things going on. The sound of wind, uh, tongues of fire dancing over the disciples' heads. And then they start speaking in other languages about the mighty acts of God. And we get to hear the very, the very first sermon ever, and it's delivered by none other than Peter. You heard that right. The guy that denied that he even knew who Jesus was gets to be the very first one to proclaim the good news. Talk about amazing grace. And within this, Peter, or maybe we would even call him Rocky, since this is the guy that Jesus said he's going to build his church upon, uh, he tells the people, hey, you know, I know this looks like a new development, but, but this isn't a new story. This is God's story. God's covenant being fulfilled in Jesus. And he gets done, and the people are like, well, what do we do then? And Peter responds with a simple repent and be baptized. That was the simple message on the first day of the church, on the church's birthday. And it's the exact same message that we proclaim today. What must I do? 
And that simple question brings forward 3,000 people who were converted on the day of Pentecost when they hear Peter's very first sermon. So the church goes from about 120 believers to over 3,000. And then it keeps growing every day as more and more people come forward. The love of Jesus was oozing out of that community all over the place after the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. And so it ultimately leads to this bond of fellowship, sharing and supporting one another. So this great conversion all takes place with just a simple question. What must we do? And that's the question we're still being asked to consider today. That question was asked here all the way back in 1890. What must we do? Those that first came here to Michigan came for one reason and one reason only. Religious freedom. What must we do to have freedom to worship the Lord freely? And so they decided they needed to move almost 4,000 miles from home and start a missionary church. A church that will take 44 years before they're able to finally fly solo and pay a pastor entirely on their own without help from the Board of Domestic Missions. 44 years for this church. It's kind of like, you know, some Israelites I once heard of roaming around in a desert. That's some pretty humble beginnings here. I'd like to share with you this morning some words from a pastor speaking about the congregation here. And the pastor says, The services are well attended. Peace and harmony prevail. The gifts have reached an all-time high. We are happy this year we might take on a share in the support of a missionary, Miss Eunice Post. Death has taken some of our faithful members to higher service. And we are grateful that the younger members were ready and willing to take over the work entrusted to us. We go forward in faith, asking God for the steady working of the Holy Spirit in us, round about us, and through us. Well, we could look at these words and say, yeah, that's what the church is supposed to be. These are the words from a former pastor at Rehoboth from 1944. To 1952. His name, Pastor Garrett Roseboom. Some of you may have known him. And it seems this is what every pastor hopes to be able to write about their church. This is the way it's supposed to be. Notice where Pastor Roseboom places all of the credit the steady working of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost here at Rehoboth. During Roseboom's eight years here, a, a more prosperous way of life comes to Lucas. And there's two major developments during this time. The development of the church's outreach and the building of a new church. Mission Fest starts with missionaries being supported overseas for the very first time. And there's this very deep sense of unity in the church. The cornerstone of the church is set and it reads, 1890 to 1951, with lots of keepsakes placed in it. Keith Taylor is the one who recalls all of these details, and he writes, I remember the excitement in the village of Lucas during the summer of 1951, as a new church was built with labor donated from the congregation. 
And he calls this church a place where people gather for friendship, comfort, devotion, education, social action, and spiritual refreshment. And at the beginning of his book about Rehoboth, he tells us that he's writing this memoir for these reasons. He says, by considering the history of the church, we can put ourselves into a picture larger than the frame of our personal lives. This can show us how to be grateful for those who went before, how to be forgiving and kind to those with whom we live and serve today, and how to nurture the children and young people who will be the church of tomorrow. So I come to you today asking a question. Are we still us? If the cornerstone that reads 1890 to 1951 now rests in a dusty furnace room downstairs, are we still us? And what must we do to be us? If you went to the three-year-old in the toddler room downstairs and asked them, what does it mean to be us? What would their answer be? How about the eight-year-old in kids' church? The teenager in the back row of the balcony? the member who comes here each week with a walker. Are we still us? Did you notice in our text today the four main things mentioned that these believers shared together? Luke describes four specific, we're going to call them marks of the church, in one verse here, Acts 2, verse 42. And it says here, they've devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. So teaching, teaching or doctrine is, is one of the marks of the church. And the first one that he mentions, and, and wouldn't it have been great to have Peter there telling you all of these stories about Jesus, you know, a living gospel who was there and could relate all these things, or John talking about the love of Jesus. And then there's this word koinonia, uh, koinonia is one of those Greek words that people who don't know any Greek know. And, and it's just a word that means fellowship. Koinonia, fellowship, being together. And then certainly the breaking of bread. And then lastly, prayer. They are a praying people. The book of Acts is really just about one thing. It's about God on the move. God establishing the church and proclaiming the good news. So we come back to this question, are we still us? What does it mean to be us? Well, Rachel's created a little slideshow for us today, and I believe it answers this question in part for us. So please watch this with me for a moment.
So you just saw all these pictures. And the question is, are we a people who are devoted to teaching, to gathering together in fellowship, to breaking bread, and are we a people of prayer? And if we can answer yes to all of those questions, then I think we have our answer. We are the church. But I want you to notice that, that there's other things mentioned in this passage as well. This brand new baby church is sharing everything that they have in common. And some, some people will say, well, well, that sounds like communism. You know, they, they sold possessions and property to anyone who had a need. But, but I want to point out that they did, this, they did this willingly, not by the strong arm of a dictator. No, this was a matter of the heart for these people. It didn't say they sold everything they had, but rather they gave others as others had needs. And they did it willingly. There was a sense of heartfelt unity in what they did. And they also added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved. Daily numbers added. Can you imagine this? Uh, there was immense unity within this body of believers, but they didn't stop there. They were also looking outside, outside the church to add new people in. Kind of makes me think of those of you who open up your life groups and circles to new members. You know that it will change the unity of your group within when you add someone new to the mix. But you take the risk, and you do it willingly, and you do it anyway. That's what this new church looks like. I wonder how the pastor of 1944 here, Pastor Rosaboom, would react if he could walk with us here today, if he could hear and see what God's doing when we celebrate his faithfulness in those videos. What if we could write him a letter saying, the children are ecstatic when they leave for kids' church on Sunday mornings. And wow, you should see how they worship downstairs. They are loud and energetic, and they love to praise Jesus. The church is bursting at the seams with a homeschooling group here on the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month. You can hardly walk through the church. Life groups and circles are life-giving to so many Food is distributed each week to over 100 families. The prayer team walks through the entire church praying over each room. Young people fill the church on Sunday nights. And do you know what happens when our kids and our teens meet here? Rich teaching, abundant fellowship, heartfelt worship and prayers inviting the Holy Spirit in. They are the church. We, we are the church. My aunt stopped in here a while back, and my office was in quite a bit of disarray. I had items all over the floor for our upcoming scavenger hunt that Sunday. Pine cones with clues in them, little kids' swimming pool to put rubber ducks in, uh, candy for Halloween, Halloween signs in the corner. Stuff was everywhere. And, and my aunt said to me, wow, you guys do a lot of events here, don't you? There's a lot happening in this church has to take a lot of people to make that happen. And my response was, yeah, yeah, that does. There's a lot of dedicated people here at Rehoboth. This is us. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. All glory to the Holy Spirit who is kicking up dust. Kicking up dust when 36 people show up to help on the night of Halloween. And 380 people walk through the halls here to be loved by our congregation. 
You know, I went downstairs to, to check on that cornerstone from 1951. Do you know how many cornerstones are downstairs now? Anybody have any ideas? There's four. Four cornerstones from additions that now collect dust. Reminders of the Holy Spirit at work within, and, and yet reminders that the Holy Spirit isn't done here yet. For some of us here today, we may be desiring clarity. God, where are we supposed to go from here? What's the right decision? What's the wrong ones? We ask that in our personal lives all the time. What should I do, Lord? One of my favorite stories from our 21 Days of Deeper Prayer book was this conversation that took place between John Cavanaugh and Mother Teresa. And John tells of a time in his life when he went to Calcutta to work for three months at the House of the Dying. And this experience was part of his heartfelt search for directions about his future. And so his first morning there, Mother Teresa asks, And what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asks her to pray for him. Well, what do you want me to pray for, she asks. And he, has explained, he explains that he has come thousands of miles from the U.S. to find direction. And he asks her to pray that I have clarity. And she says firmly, no, I, I will not do that. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and you must let go of. Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity that he longed for. And she laughed. I have never had clarity, she said. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. Wow, there it is again, one of the four marks of the church. Prayer. Prayer for trust. Trust as we move forward. Trust in our personal lives and trust as a church. Mandy Smith wrote a book, and it's called The Vulnerable Pastor. And one of the takeaways for me in this book comes from these words that she shares. One night when I was struggling to know if I was enough, I had a dream. And it was a simple scene of a church service in our sanctuary. While the congregation prayed, I knelt with them on the front row. And raising my eyes a moment, I was alarmed to see a cloud of dust filling the air above us, threatening to overshadow the service, to blind and to smother us. But my fear gave way to peace. From my position, kneeling on the floor, I blew a tiny puff of air, a tiny puff of breath, and not enough to even budge a dandelion seed. And in an instant, the cloud dispersed to nothing. To this day, when I feel overwhelmed by the clouds gathering, and I often do, I sometimes blow this little puff of breath as my prayer that I will do what small thing I can and trust God to make it what it needs to be. People of God, we've been considering this morning this question, what shall we do? And then answering that by looking at the way it's supposed to be in the church. And we know that we fall short of that all the time. And yet I'm asking you to be a people 
who have a heartfelt desire to grow in our faith and learn together, to fellowship together, to break bread together, and to pray together, even if it kills us. And I know some days we wonder if it will. But would you be willing to do the tough work and experience the immense joy of being together? I love this simple thought by Mandy Smith, little puffs of prayer. Would you be willing to offer up little prayer puffs here when you enter the sound booth or help with coffee or change a dirty diaper for a child that is not your own? However you enter this building or serve within it, would you offer a small prayer puff before you begin and as you serve? When you hear or feel clouds of dust filling the air, would you be the one who blows that little puff of breath as your prayer and do what small thing you can and trust God for what it needs to be? Will you be rocky, the rock and the cornerstone that God needs to continue to build his church? Would you be willing to pray? each morning, even before your feet hit the floor, that the Holy Spirit would flow through you and use you as his instrument, his ambassador? And will you be brave enough to stop asking for clarity and wondering and pondering with others where God's going to take us, and I know how hard that is, and instead wait upon him and trust his leading? Would you please pray with me? Oh God, what must we do? Grant us repentant hearts, hearts turned toward you. We are the church. We are your people. And we ask that you would unite us within and give us eyes, Lord, for the empty pew next to us. So that we are asking, Lord, what does this person who is going to fill this seat need for them to come and to meet with you? May this earthly kingdom turn to dust, and may your heavenly kingdom be in our hearts and pour out of us. In your most holy name we ask, amen.